So today I want you to be thinking about uh, this situation. Perhaps you've faced something like this before. Uh, things are tight. You get in your car, you're getting ready to go somewhere. And as you're driving, the engine light comes on and you think to yourself, oh no. Because not only do you have to deal with whatever that might mean for you, wherever you're going, wherever you're traveling, are you gonna get there on time? Are you going to be safe? But in the back of your mind, you know that not only do you have a car problem, you have a financial problem as well. And you get that sinking feeling in your gut that maybe it's going to be an expensive repair or you're gonna to need to replace your car or what are you going to have to face? So that, whether it's your car, your house, or losing your job or whatever the case may be, going through a pandemic maybe, there are often things that come up in life that are not only issues in and of themselves, but then they become a financial crisis as well. In this series, we're going through some of the best advice I ever got. And today, we are going to talk about money. Money is something that Jesus talked about on a regular basis. And sometimes we try to avoid talking about money at church, but it's something that touches every aspect of our daily lives. And if we want to help people, then we've got to talk about money because it makes up such a big part of our lives. And really, when you think about it, wouldn't it be nice if when you encountered various troubles, like a car problem or something like that, that you could just deal with that problem and not have the additional stress of thinking about the financial aspect of it as well. Wouldn't it be nice if when a problem came up, you knew you could just deal with the problem and it wasn't going to be a financial crisis as well. And really, I mean, that would be great, wouldn't it? It would be nice to not have to be concerned about that. And so we want to see everybody that is a part of our church and everybody that is listening or watching to have the best advice possible when it comes to money. And whatever you think about Jesus, Jesus talked about money all the time and, and the scriptures, the Bible is just full of good advice on how to manage your finances. So today, that's what we're gonna be talking about. And we're gonna look at a story that Jesus told, a situation that came up in Jesus' ministry when he was walking on earth teaching and uh, go through this parable and then make some application and talk about how we can apply the wisdom that we find in the scriptures to money so that when we encounter the various ups and downs of life, we can deal with them and it won't be a financial crisis on top of all that. So let's look at it together. This is Luke chapter 12, and we're gonna look at verses 13 to 21. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And this is what it says. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, uh, Jesus is teaching, He's in a crowd, somebody calls out to him. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, 
Now he's talking to the crowd again. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them this story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored up for many years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship to God. Would you pray with me? So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us through what we hear today. Lord, I believe that you want good things for your children and that you've given us wisdom and guidance and that you speak to us through your word. And so I pray that you would do exactly that. And there are some people that are gonna be listening that manage their money really well and are in a good position, but you wanna challenge them in some form or fashion to go beyond what they've done before in generosity and helping others perhaps. Some, for some, this will be exactly what they need right now because their life is just one crisis after another. I pray that you would use this to deliver them from that cycle. And most importantly, I pray, Lord, that you would do the work that needs to be done in our hearts, that you would make us a generous and wise people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So let's look at this uh, in a little bit of detail, and we're going to look at this passage and then start to talk through what is that best advice that I ever got when it comes to finances, and then think through and apply that and figure out how to do it practically in our lives. So this story, uh, the, the parable that Jesus told, was actually prompted by a question. You've got this guy who is appealing to Jesus. Evidently, his father had passed away, and there was some dispute between the brothers, and he wanted to get his fair share. And, you know, that sounds pretty reasonable. Our father has passed away. I want to get what is due to me. So it's interesting that what sounds like is actually a question of fairness, Jesus addresses from another angle, because what does he say? He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. So he refuses to get involved in playing the arbitrator between these brothers, and then he, he addresses this issue of greed. Be on guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Jesus had the supernatural insight to know what was exactly going on in this situation, that it wasn't actually an issue of fairness, it was actually an issue of greed. It was a heart issue. I remember running across uh, a 
church that did a series. It was a two part series on finances and it really stuck with me. And it was something like this. It's how to destroy your life in two words or less. And those two words were more and mine, more and mine. And what Jesus is addressing here is this issue that if you want to really mess up your life, then you will let greed just run wild. And what is greed? Greed is always saying more and mine. No matter how much I get, it's not enough. And whatever I get, it's mine and I will not share with others. So we see this in this passage that this is what goes wrong with this farmer who has been blessed with an abundance. So he has these great crowds and what, not crowds, great crops. And uh, he's saying to himself, okay, well, what should I do? I have an abundance. I have more than enough. And so what should I do? And so he decides, I'm going to tear down the barns that I already have and will build bigger ones, gather in all of this stuff. So I've got more. That's good. I want everything more. I, it's all mine. I worked for it. I deserve it. I'm going to use it for me. And I love how the message translation puts this. And he says, and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made. So he's talking to himself and whoever says that there's no humor in the Bible just hasn't read it closely enough. It's like this guy talking to himself, you have done such a great job. Look at how well you're doing. Look at all the stuff that you have accumulated. And then of course, the twist in the story is that that very night he dies. And God asks him, now what's going to happen? You've accumulated all of this stuff, but now none of it is going to be yours. The more and the mind have just slipped through your fingers. And then he sums it up with this bottom line, that a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And literally it says to be rich towards God, to be rich towards God. So we see in this example, a negative example, a person who has more than enough and is always wanting more, who has more than enough, but is unwilling to share and is always saying mine. So what is the best advice that I ever got on finances. I was blessed as I was growing up to get uh, good teaching and good instruction, mostly through my church, honestly, on managing money. And uh, so I've had variations of this throughout my life, but I remember that my pastor in South Florida did a message and he just succinctly put this advice, kind of tied up all the advice that I heard in one easy to remember phrase, and this was it. And it's the bottom line for today. Give 10, save 10, live on the rest. Give 10, save 10, live on the rest. Now, what am I saying there? That for everything that comes in, you are going to give 10% of that away. You are going to save 
10% of that, and then you live on the rest. Give 10, save 10, live on the rest. And in fact, uh, we've been, uh, as our kids came along and we started training them, for some of them, we actually would do something like this, where we would have three jars and we would put the jars out there and it was just a very concrete, visual, practical way of teaching this that we would get, you know, they get $10 and so one goes in the give jar, one goes in the save jar and then the rest, the 80%, they could spend and use however they like. So that's how we started out. I remember when I was a child, when for the first time I got a dollar, a dime went into the offering. And then eventually, you know, I was encouraged to open up a savings account and started building up my savings in that way. So this was something that I was taught from early on. Didn't always follow it unfortunately, but it was something that I knew and it's definitely the best advice that I've ever got when it comes to money. So let's unpack and go a little bit deeper in the, this. I mean, it's a pretty simple concept, but it's not so much that we don't know the right thing to do or don't have any idea what we should be doing. It's more the practical aspect, right? I mean, everybody wants to be generous and give money away. Everybody would love to have a big nest egg in their savings account, but we don't do that, generally speaking. A lot of people don't. So what do we do? Um, let's look at the idea of uh, the, the giving, the generosity side of things. Remember, Jesus said in this parable that um, you want to be rich towards God. Well, earlier in the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gave us some insight into what he's talking about. Uh, it says in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, if you're going to accumulate riches, you can do it on earth, but it's always going to be in peril. And so he says instead to store up riches in heaven where none of these things are a problem and it's not in peril. And so he went on to explain and what he's basically saying is when you give it away, when you meet needs, when you are generous with others, then you are going to build up, store up treasures in heaven. So when we're talking about the give side of things, we're talking about generosity. We're talking about giving money away in such a way that is storing up treasure in heaven. Now, where do we get the 10% from? Why give 10, save 10, and live on the rest? Well, there is a long established track record in the scriptures of giving a tenth or what is called a tithe. Now, the tithe is just a word that means one tenth. And in fact, in our passage that we're looking at here, this translation is actually going to translate it as one tenth. But anywhere you see the word tithe, you're talking about a tenth. 
So the first time that that shows up is in one of the earliest books of the Bible, Leviticus 27:30. One tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. And this was established early on. Whatever increase they had, whatever came in, whatever crops they were able to reap, then they would set aside a tenth of that and it belonged to the Lord. In other words, it was going to go towards the Lord's purposes. Now, a close reading of the Old Testament, and you will find that that tenth went, the tithe funded the priests, the parish, and the poor. I used three P words to make it easy, but it would take care of the people, the priests who worked at the temple. It would take care of the ministry of the temple to the, to the community. And it was also used as a storehouse to meet the needs of the poor. It didn't mean that people weren't encouraged to be generous to the poor on their own, but it provided a mechanism to make sure that the people's needs were met. And then a close reading of the New Testament, and you will find that it's the same thing. The giving to churches, the tithe funds, the ministers, the ministry, and those most in need. It's the same three categories, just with M's instead of P's. The, the people who work in the ministry are supposed to earn their living from being in ministry. That the ministry of the church, you know, our budget is basically what you see. The things that happen at Cornerstone, that's what gets paid for. And those most in need that we want to make sure that there's a mechanism in place so that when needs come up in our congregation primarily, but also in the greater community and region and world, that we have resources available to be generous. So that giving 10% is really about being generous. And remember I said that in Matthew 6, Jesus explained what the treasures were. In the very next passage after that, he goes on to talk about generosity. But often people miss the case, miss the point because they don't know, they don't recognize the figures of speech that he's using. And basically in that next passage in Matthew 6, he's saying that generous people have their eyes wide open to the needs around them. This is what it actually says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And what he's using there is a Hebrew way of idiom of talking about generosity. We use our hands to talk about generosity. If a person is greedy and unwilling to share, we say that they're tight-fisted. If they are generous, we describe them as open-handed. In the Bible, in the Hebrew culture, what they would talk about is eyes. If you were a greedy and uh, unwilling to share, then you had your eyes closed to the needs around you. You wouldn't be able to see them because your eyes are closed to those needs. However, a person who's generous would have eyes wide open and they would be able to see the needs and would meet them, would do something about them. So he's saying in this passage, if your eyes are open, if your eyes are clear, if you can see well, what he's really saying is you're generous. And you're, if you are generous, 
If your eyes are right, then that reflects what's going on in the inside of your whole body. That uh, what, as my pastor in the church that I was growing, growing up used to say that, and I've heard it many times elsewhere, that money is not the problem. It's an indicator. It's a temperature gauge. It shows you the health of your soul. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's where it came from. If your eyes are right, then your whole body is full of light. If you have this part set, it's an indicator that the inside is doing well. And likewise, if you're not generous, that's an indication, it's an invitation to look inward and see what's going on. So we give 10, we save 10, and we live on the rest. So let's talk about the practical side of that saving 10. If generous people have their eyes wide open to the needs around them, wise people don't spend everything that they get. And this is one of, I think, the, the, the geniuses of the idea of the tithe is that by taking that step and making that commitment, what you're doing is you are committing that I'm just not going to spend everything that comes in. And as a result, what I find is that when people do take that step, they become far better managers of the remainder, of the rest. And that that 90% or 80% goes even farther than the 100% did before because they become better managers or stewards of the resources that they have been given. And so you are generous, but you also are wise when you don't spend everything that you get. In Proverbs 21.20, it says the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools spend whatever they get. Now the choice food and olive oil, those are luxuries, those are excess. That's more than you need. And it's saying that when you, have, when you encounter a wise person, you're gonna find that they have everything that they need and more, but a person who is unwise, a person who's foolish, <clears throat> is going to spend whatever they get. I love the way another translation puts it is that they gobble everything up. So it comes in, it gets gobbled up. That's, that's uh, what happens to it. So a balanced budget is great, but a balanced budget just means you get everything in and then you spend everything according to plan. And that is just the basics here. That's that's, that's what a foolish person does. A wise person doesn't spend everything that they get. Now, practically speaking, the tithe forces you to become a better manager of the rest of your income. And saving up, practically speaking, the benefit of that is that it prevents you and rescues you from going into debt because that's why people go into debt is because they don't have enough for the needs that arise. When you plan ahead, when you save up, then you're in a good position and you don't have to go into debt. Proverbs 22:7 says the rich rules over the poor 
and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. What does a slave do? A slave does not benefit from the fruits of their labors. It belongs to someone else. And when you are in debt, you are working off that debt. The fruit of your labor is going to go to someone else. So best advice that I ever got is to give 10, save 10, and live on the rest. But why is it that we don't do that? Why is it? Why do we not? I mean, we know we're supposed to, we would love to be generous. We know we're supposed to save up, but we don't do it. And it's because money problems are often heart problems. There's something going on on the inside. It's not that we don't know. It's that we can't get our heart to move in the right direction that we are not generous, we're not willing to give because our, pro our problems are filling our field of vision. We don't see the needs that other people have because we're so focused on meeting our own needs. And you know, that's legit. You gotta take care of yourself. You gotta take care of your family. But we worry and we stress and we focus on that and what I find is that the more that I am able to shift my focus away from my own problems and my own worries and get involved in doing something to help others and meet the needs of others, my worry goes down, my stress goes down, I become more grateful, and I just do better. So it's a heart issue. It's, I, I need to figure out a way to be concerned with and active in meeting the needs of others. And why don't we save? It's because sometimes we just lack this discipline. We get stuff in, we, our assumption is that it's for our consumption and we spend it on ourselves. So ultimately, if you're going to deal with the heart issue, if you're going to shift your concern to others, if you're going to be wise and self-disciplined to set money aside for the emergency fund, for a rainy day, for needs in the future, then you're going to have to address two things. You're gonna to have to address your heart when it comes to concern and care for others, and you're going to have to address the self-control issue. And that's where Jesus comes in. Just in a passing, in the letter from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians, he says, for God, he's explaining what's going on. God is working in you to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. The good news of the gospel is that, yes, you've known all this stuff before, but now you can do it. I'm going to place, God says, through, the, through his power, I'm going to place that, that desire in you to be generous, to be concerned for others, to figure out ways so that your needs are met, and then the excess that comes in, figure out ways to be generous and beneficial to others. And I'm also going to give you the power that you lack self-control, and it seems like you didn't couldn't figure out a way to make that happen, but I'm going to make that happen for you now. I'm going to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases me, God says. And how does he do that? He does that through the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus 
is the Son of God, that he came, lived a perfect life. What did he do? He went to the cross, died a death he did not deserve. And what does it mean for us? So that we could experience the life, forgiveness, and power, new life that comes from knowing Jesus. So ultimately, it's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. You deal with the heart by turning your life over to Jesus. And so if you've never done that before, I'm going to invite you to commit your life to Jesus, to say yes to Jesus, yes to his forgiveness for the past, for the ways that we've blown it, for the ways that we have rebelled against God and his power for the future. Yes to his lordship and leadership in your life that you're going to do it his way. If you haven't done that already, do it today. Let us know. Click on the button, text yes to our church number 603-225-2550 so that we can celebrate with you and resource you for your new life in Christ. So that's a step. Now, let's talk about some other practical steps as we bring this to a close. You're going to deal with the heart issue by turning it over to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I, my finances are a mess. Uh, it reflects uh, you know, a, a, a need that I have for your power and your help, and you're going to help me. But how can we practically apply this? And I'm going to give you a couple of steps. One is if you need additional help and accountability, take FPU. FPU is Financial Peace University. It is a class that uh, we have gone through and put a lot of people through here at Cornerstone. It gives you a track to run on and encouragement and practical help. Many of you have gone through FPU, so I'm going to encourage you to lead FPU. If you're already giving and saving and living on the rest and you've got the abundance and you have your life in order, then it's time for you to turn around and then help others. Lead them through FPU, grab a couple of people, put them through the course, be there as a resource and a help to them. Another thing that I think is a really helpful thing is uh, when you know the right thing to do, if you have the right tools, it just makes it easier. So get a tool that's going to help you to manage your money. One of the best ones that I've found is called YNAB. You need a budget, YNAB. It's an online tool that is different from a lot of money management budgeting programs because you actually plan your spending ahead of time and then spend from that plan. So you can check that out. I will put some links in the various ways that we can to get that out to you. But you know, do it on a spreadsheet. Some, some do it very successfully on a spreadsheet. Use some other tool. Do paper and pencil. Do envelopes. Do glass jars. I don't care. But figure out a system that works for you. And then lastly, to give something. Some of you have uh, said in the past, well, I could never give 10%. And so rather than giving something, they, people tend to give nothing. And it takes a certain amount of initiative and faith to start giving. So I think everybody, if you're a part of Cornerstone, give something, participate in the ministry of church in this way. 
Now, some of you perhaps legitimately can't, you're on the verge of homelessness, you're in need. You should let us give you something, you know, contact us and let us know your need. But for most of us, we can give something and it's time to get started. If you're not ready to give 10%, I really recommend that because I think the benefits are far beyond that. But if you're not ready yet, at least get the ball rolling, get started. Take that step of faith and make a plan to work towards that. And then ultimately, my challenge for you this week is to automate the process, to automate your intention. If you're going to set up a savings account, then set up that savings account and Every bank now allows you to automatically transfer some money from one account to another. Set that up. Uh, every church, including ours, you can set up automated giving so that when money comes in, the first thing that goes out is that Give 10. It's the generosity piece of it. If you never see it, then you're not going to miss it. And if you give and save before you start spending, then you will be in a great financial position. You see, I've encountered, I've been teaching this for a long time. For those of you that have been part of Cornerstone, this is probably not the first time that you've heard something like this. But here's what I can tell you from my long experience, decades in ministry, is that when people decide I can't do this, then what they find is they're constantly in that financial crisis. It's just one after another. When people decide that they're going to do something about it and change the way that they approach their finances, take that step of faith, work hard at the stewardship side of their life, what they will find is that life just goes better because there's a plan and there's uh, all of these pieces in place and the Lord works on your heart to get you in the right place. So that's my encouragement to you. Figure out some step to do, figure out some way that you can automate your intention to give 10, save 10 and live on the rest. And then you're going to experience all of those benefits. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that um, you have grace for our failures, and I know that mine are plenty when it comes to finances, but that you give us power and insight and wisdom to turn things around. I pray that you would show every person who's listening and watching exactly what their next step is, what they need to do with what they've heard today, and that you would give them the faith and courage, support, tools that they need in order to follow through. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.